You're listening to an audio message from The Well, a gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com. Let's bow our heads and pray. Father, thank you for, thank you for the, uh, the freedom, the freedom that we have to come and to gather together tonight, um, to worship together to be in uh, each other's fellowship um, and to be in the presence of your spirit together. Lord, thank you for the power of your word. And God, I pray that you would just bring the authority and the power of your word to rest and to bear um, in our midst by the power of your spirit over the next few moments. I do pray that um, you would... I'm just quite literally somehow um, through my feeble attempts at communicating um, paint a really raw picture of the passion that you have for lost people. Lord, help us to help us to clean to your word. Help our hearts to be refreshed by your word. Help our minds to be challenged by your word. Help our lives to be changed by your word. So God, I pray that. I pray that you would make Jesus famous among us this evening. Uh, and, and, and I just pray, God, that you would take um, the meditations of my heart that, that do not um, honor you. And I pray, God, that you would just remove those um, God, I pray that you would create within me in these moments even um, just a fresh um, hunger for you and for your word and, 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 a, and a fresh sense of trust and reliance upon you to do what only you can do. But I, I'm, I just know that like, there's, I know that there's no way that I can step onto this stage on a good night or even a bad night and really bring anything of value um, to the people that are gathered in front of me. So God, I, I just know that um, I, I, am, I am helpless and hopeless without you. And, and, I, and I know that's the same for each of us that is gathered here. And so Father, I pray that you would draw our attention to you in a fresh way. I pray God that you would speak to our hearts. I pray God that you would help us to honor you. I pray God that you would remind us that you are, are our rock and, and our redeemer. So, God, I just pray that you would do those things, uh, trusting you to do that. In Jesus' name, everybody said? Amen. Amen. Luke chapter 19, starting in verse 41. I'm going to work all the way through chapter 20, verse 8. Luke says this, And when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you. And they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. And he entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold, saying to them, It is written, My house shall be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. And he was teaching daily in the temple. The chief priests and the scribes and the principal men of the people were seeking to destroy him, but they did not find anything they could do, for all the people were hanging on his words. One day, as Jesus was teaching the people in the temple and preaching the gospel, the chief priests and the scribes with the elders came up and said to him, Tell us by, by what authority you do these things, or who it is that gave you this authority. He answered them, I also will ask you a question. Now tell me, was the baptism of John from heaven or from man? And they discussed it with one another, saying, If we say from heaven, he will say, Why did you not believe him? But if we say from man, all the people will stone us to death, for they are convinced that John was a prophet. So they answered that they did not know where it came from, and Jesus said to them, Neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. 
What you see in this passage of scripture is Jesus' passion on display. It's his passion that's on display primarily. You see him in three different pieces of this story. The first chunk of the story, we see him coming into Jerusalem. And as Jerusalem comes into full view for him, you see him break down weeping and crying over this city that he's looking at. And the second section, you see Jesus walking into the temple, the church of that day, and in his passion, violently clearing out that temple because it had become something which it was never intended to be. And then in the third portion of the text that we just read through, you see his passionate authority on display as well. And the reality about this text is it's, it, it's not just about how we respond to what we read in this text. It's also about the picture of Christ himself. I mean, it has to begin there, doesn't it? I mean, you, you and I cannot respond to a Jesus that we have made up in our minds from fairy tales. You and I cannot respond to a Jesus that is put out on Discovery Channel today. We can't, we can't respond to a Jesus that is fake and false. So we go, we go to the Word of God to see a picture of who Jesus is. And as Luke tells this story throughout his gospel, the main theme all throughout is that he wants us to be certain and sure of who Jesus is, what he came to do, what he did, what he's going to do, what he wants for your life, what he wants for my life. We can be sure that what Luke is telling us here is true. So as Luke busts into this section of text, he's highlighting for us the passion of Christ. The reality for us is, as a church family is we've been in the Gospel of Luke for a couple of years now, slowly moving our way through it. The crazy thing is, crazy thing is we, we are actually in the final portion of the Gospel of Luke. And what Luke records in the final portion, these last four uh, chapters or so, it is a week of experiences, a week of stories. And we are literally going to spend until just after Easter of 2017 slowly working our way through this. Some of you might ask, why? Just to make sure that we all understand where we're at and where we're headed. The reason why is because we live in America, right? The home of Burger King. The home of McDonald's. The home of, if I don't get exactly what I want right now, I'm going to throw a freaking temper tantrum on Facebook. That's where we live, okay? Amen. And so because of that, we made a decision that, you know what we want to do is we want to, we want to put a picture of Jesus in front of us that kind of goes against the mainstream culture of, I'm going to throw my fancy fits all over the place and get all the attention I can possibly get by doing so. And we're, we're, going to, we're going to soak slowly in this picture of who Jesus is because if there's one thing that we believe the most here at the well is this. That you and I both need a fresh encounter with Jesus daily. Daily. If you and I do not get a fresh encounter of Jesus daily, it's just like not eating breakfast in the morning when you get up. You'll become anemic and unhealthy. And so some people are like, well, I can walk this road alone, do this all by myself. Really have fun with that. Like, the scriptures don't show us a picture of Christians walking this alone unless they're prophets from the Old Testament. And by the way, let's take a look at that. Go back to Jeremiah real fast if you know how to find your way around the Bible. I'm sorry, I changed my mind. Go to Isaiah. I told you, it's going to be a rough night. Be, would be better if I said nothing and went home, except for I do believe in the power of preaching. I do believe in the power of the Holy Spirit through preaching, so I, I trust he's going to do something in my crazy ramblings this evening. Isaiah 56 is just a really interesting uh, kind of section of text, and it ties to what we are looking at today. I'm, I'm going to make my way back to Luke, so we'll probably be here for an hour, maybe not 10 minutes. I mean, you give me three, you give me, you give me three different verses I get to work through. 
we're, we're done dealing, right? So Isaiah 56, it's a little bit of background for you. If you, you don't know who Isaiah is real fast, Isaiah is a prophet, okay? So Isaiah would do similarly what I'm doing here, except I think much more harshly. I think when, like, when Isaiah walks in the room, like, if you guys think I'm big and beasty and mean and powerful and ugly and all those things and scary and intimidating and whatever all those crazy people say about me sometimes, Isaiah, Isaiah was a freaking beast, okay? Dude walks into the room and he says something, you either listen or not, and this is what happens to Isaiah. He said so many harsh things, got him killed, just like Jesus. Hey, running in pretty good company, right? I haven't died for my faith yet, neither of you. One day, if you and I have the opportunity to do that, we should probably count that joy. So here's Isaiah. Isaiah is a prophet. And basically, Isaiah's main job, I mean, the main job of a prophet is to walk in the room, pick up the mic, drop some truth, drop the mic, walk out the room while you cry in your puddle of tears because you just got convicted of all your crappy sin, right? That's what a prophet does. So this is Isaiah. Isaiah does this. Listen to what Isaiah says in Isaiah 56 and just see if you make a connection to what I just read from Luke 19 and 20. Thus says the Lord. Oh, God, I love that. When the prophet walks in the room, thus saith the Lord, right? Get your thinking caps on and get your ears open because the Lord is speaking. I mean, Isaiah didn't walk in and go, hey, I was sleeping last night. I woke up in the middle of the night and I had this crazy idea I wrote down in my journal and decided to come tell you about it. He didn't walk in the room like that. He didn't walk in the room like, hey, hey, I went to like seminary all these years and here I am today to tell you what the Lord said. He just walks in the room and he's like, hey, the Lord said I got to tell you something. Right? It's kind of crazy. Like, you probably ought to check dudes who walk in and say, the Lord said this. So you ought to make sure you check out what I say. Because sometimes, I'll be honest with you, I don't even believe half of what I say. So you should probably go check it out and just make sure that what I'm saying to you is right. Bunny trail done. Back to Isaiah 56. Sorry. <laughs> Thus says the Lord. Point being, when a prophet speaks, you and I should listen because it is as though God is speaking. Okay, back to the bunny trail, right? Couldn't get away from it. I couldn't get away. It's good. I, could, I mean, you. this is what you and I need. We need this truth of God spoken to our hearts daily. It's what I just said a minute ago, right? We need that spoken to our hearts daily. Hey, the reason that you and I come here and struggle in worship, the reason that I was standing in the front row here before the freaking fire started out front and before the stupid guitar stopped working, the reason I was standing there struggling to worship the reason is simply because I need to hear the word of Christ preached to me daily. And if I'm not listening to the word of Christ daily, then what happens is I walk in among you and I actually, in some regard, sin against you because my heart's not in a place where I'm ready to worship God. Like when you walk into the gathered group of people, ask yourself, where have you been this week? Where have you been this week? If, you, if you're here and you're a, you're, you're, you're a professing Christian, a professing Christ follower, where have you been this week? Like, what has your heart been like? Where, where has your mind been? What, you, what have you been thinking about and meditating on? What is it that has taken your time this week? Like, if you think about your heart, man, you've been given into fear. You've been given into frustrations and anger and, like, bitterness. And, or maybe it's just disillusionment. Like, I don't know, I just show up every Sunday and just kind of pretend like I'm okay because it looks good for me to be there, right? Listen to what Isaiah says. Thus says the Lord. And you and I need to hear the truth spoken to us from the Lord, right? That's why preaching is so important. I heard Mark say yesterday, and I got on his case. We were watching the football game. Mark's not back there now, so I can talk trash about him while he's out the room. Because um, that's, that's a good thing to do is talk trash behind people's backs. Wait, he's back. Okay. Now I'm not talking trash behind your back, Mark. Uh, it wasn't just Mark. I think it was Mark and Brandon, and they made some comment to me, and I was in one of those crazy moods. Y'all ever get in crazy moods where, you're, where somebody says something, and it kind of sets you off, and you can feel like the hair on the back of your neck stand up, and you feel kind of that heat kind of flush your face, you know? One of them made this comment, and nobody ever makes this comment to me. <laughs> You'll laugh in a minute. One of them was like, it'd be kind of nice if you just preach a 20-minute sermon once or twice a year. So Mark's raising his hand. Are you, are you want to argue with me about that? No, you did say that, didn't you? <laughs> <laughs> and, and, um, and so my initial response was something like, we're sitting here in front of a freaking football game for four hours, and you can't listen to it. Anyways. <laughs> remember, remember that? All right, all right. 
right, so good. We're all together on the same page. My, my, point, my point being is that when you and I walk in here, the power of preaching is meant to transform and change our hearts and lives. Like, are you ready for that? Or do you just walk in here with your dead looks on every week, like I do sometimes, and need to kind of hear a fresh swat from the Lord, like, hey, yo, wake up, hello. This is a privilege we get, right? Thus says the Lord. I'm not God. You take that and you tweet that, I'm going to come punch you in the nose, right? <laughs> you tweet that, I'm going to punch you in the nose for tweeting the fact that I'm going to punch you in the nose. <laughs> Give this guy a break, right? Thus says the Lord, Jeremiah says, or I'm sorry, Isaiah says, keep justice and do righteousness. For soon my salvation will come and my righteousness be revealed. Blessed is the man who does this and the son of man who holds it fast. <laughs> who keeps the Sabbath, not profaning it, and keeps his hand from doing any evil. Go back, verse 2. Blessed is the man who does this, the son of man who holds it fast. Blessed is the dude and the lady who keeps the word of God. Okay? Big summary. It's kind of my summary, but it fits really well. The word of God is here for you and I to study so that we get to know Jesus so that our lives are actually radically changed. Now you don't get to walk around and say, man, I'm bored with the church. Kick that habit to the dirt because what you're really bored with is Jesus. The real problem with you is you haven't held on to the word of God. You haven't clung to the word of God. That's the reality. How can I preach that to you? You might say, mad dude's harsh. What's wrong with Joe? He's like, I'm oh, pissed off tonight. I preach that because I know it. Like, I experience this on a weekly basis. Now, you think it's because I get paid to preach, right? Because I get the privilege of studying God's word, like, could be every day, right? If I wasn't running around putting out fires and changing diapers. <laughs> like, I, I honestly think this at some point, we as a church probably just got to get real about some of this, right? Like, I could be. That would be the privilege, right? The privilege of a pastor preacher is to study God's word and then to bring that to the pulpit on Sundays. Now, and to be honest with you, I do get to do a lot of that, and it is a huge privilege, and I get a ton of joy from it. But can I just tell you that my personal life, my heart, does, my heart does not necessarily get fed by that. I, I have to be spending time in God's word, letting God speak to me personally. One of the primary ways that I do that is by going to the Psalms, and I slowly work through them. This last week, it was Psalm 35. I shared this with our practical care team the other night. Like My heart was just kind of like lit up from this passage where David is like, he's like laying on his face, crying out to God because people are opposing him, coming against him, all the doing all these things, and he's like, yo, God, please come and defend me, right? He's like, God, please come and take all these bad dudes out. God, come get these guys. Like, get your sword, chop off their head. I mean, I mean, he's literally saying things like this, right? Pick up your shield and get your sword, get your spear, and take these guys out. And then at the very end of it, at the very end of it, David is like, and say to my soul that you are my salvation. Say to my soul that you are my salvation. David is notorious for saying to himself all the time, Hey, soul, like he's looking at himself. Hey, soul, what is wrong with you? He says all the time, it's like, why are you downcast, my soul? Why are you depressed? Why are you feeling this way? And then he'll inevitably always say something like, hope in the Lord. Like he preaches to himself. Remember, stand and look at yourself in the mirror and talk to yourself? Yeah, I know, they throw you in a loony bin, right? Okay, seventh floor for all of us if you do that. But this is what David does, talks to himself. And then in this, in this psalm, in Psalm 35, what he's doing is he's actually laying on the ground, totally hopeless, totally helpless. David understands there's nothing that he can do to bring encouragement to himself outside of the Lord bringing it to him. That's why he's saying to God, God, I need you to remind me that you are my salvation. I got nothing left. That's basically what David's saying, right? And that's where I got to be this week in Psalm 35. That was just me personally. I'm just sharing that with you because that's where my heart has been this week, and that's what I do. What do you do? Like, where are you at? You got a Bible in front of you, you got it on your app, you got it on your phone. I just want to pound us a little bit, like, guys, we got to get into his word. Like, my hope and my prayer after tonight is that if nothing else happens, 
man, I pray that people get saved, right? Like they see the cross of Christ and all those things. But I'm really hoping, too, that you might just see uh, your need for God's word. And that you might just, that the Holy Spirit might just, like, start a fire inside of you, kind of like that stupid bush out front, right? Like you would just start a fire inside of you for God's word, that you would hunger for it, that you would thirst for it, that when you start feeling hopeless and depressed and beat down, like life is over and this time sucks, that you would say, you know what? You know what? The only reason I feel that way is because I've been placing my hope in broken things. I'm placing my hope in broken people. Placing my hope in broken, inanimate objects I keep gathering around me in my home. Like one of the things that really ticks me off is when my TV doesn't work. Like we bought this stupid thing brand new for like six, seven hundred dollars eons ago, and we scraped together every penny to get the dumb thing, right? And there's an input button. Have y'all ever experienced the input button on a flat screen TV? Yeah, stupid thing always gets stuck. Okay, get stuck, and then it'll just get this little message, like error message, up on the screen, and it'll just keep flipping through all, all the inputs, and you can't get to stop, you just want to punch it, right? You just want to, why? Why do you want to punch the TV at that point? Because you place your hope in watching TV, duh, right? This is an easy bunny trail, right? Piece of cake. It's a good illustration of where we wind up in life at times, frustrated, ticked off, pissed off, depressed. Whatever it may be, it's because you place your hope in broken things, like a broken TV that I spent $700 on. (laughs) Verse 3 of Isaiah 56. Then we're going to go back to Luke eventually. Let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, the Lord will surely separate me from his people. And let not the eunuch say, do I have to explain what a eunuch is? Okay, we're not going to go there either. Let not the eunuch say, behold, I am a dry tree, even though, anyways. If you guys go study a eunuch and why a eunuch would be saying, I think I'm a dry tree, you'll get a great laugh out of this, okay? Serious. Like, this is God's word coming to life in front of us, is it not? Can somebody say amen like we're actually in a Baptist church? (laughs) All right, thank you. (laughs) Oh, man, that's crazy. Like, the Lord has a great sense of humor, too, right? Like, we always catch this picture of God being like this angry dude on a throne, and he is, trust me, okay? Like, you and I sin, and we make dumb mistakes, and we don't own our crap. Like, he's going to get ticked about that. Hey, he kind of has a right to his name's God, right? Okay? So, um, but he also has a sense of humor. I think this is one of those places where he has a sense of humor. <laughs> Let not the eunuchs say that. Poor eunuchs. I mean, wh- what else would they say? I'm kind of a dry tree. Hello, Lord. <laughs> Verse 4. <laughs> For thus says the Lord to the eunuchs. So now God's talking to the eunuchs. <laughs> to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose the things that please me and hold fast to my covenant. I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better, catch this, better than sons and daughters. A name better than sons and daughters. So typically eunuchs, eunuchs were kind of cut off, right? <laughs> no pun intended. <laughs> Dane, I'm telling you, I'm preaching without my notes. This is not a good idea. We probably should not post this sermon anywhere. <laughs> Man, the Lord has a sense of humor. <laughs> typically, typically they would, in a sense, be cut off from God's people for various different reasons. And what God is saying is, hey, even those of you who feel like you are separated from God, you have a way in. Even though you feel like you don't belong, you can belong. Even though you've lived your life like somebody who has ran his or her life into the, into the trash heap, you can still find a way to fit in with the family because of Jesus. That's, that's what God's proclaiming through Isaiah in the Old Testament, right? He's always pointing to Jesus. Moves on. Still waiting for the connection to Luke, right? Is everybody still waiting for that after this long exposition? And the foreigners, verse 6, the foreigners, oh, oh, let me do it. Let me just back up verse 5. A monument and a name better than sons and daughters. A monument and a name better than sons and daughters. You get to belong to God as his son or his daughter because of Jesus. You get to. That, that is something that should humble you and I every single day. Like every time that you and I start thinking, man, I just don't know about God. Like I just don't know about the word. I think I'm going to go do this or do that and say, man, you and I need to remember that you and I do not deserve to be called sons and daughters. But because of the grace of God, we have the opportunity to trust in Christ and become sons and daughters. And what God is saying here is, hey, 
Hey, the monument I will set up for you, the way that the way the land will know who you are, is going to be better than that t- title of son or daughter. That's a, that's a crazy, crazy thing. Now we have time to totally unpack. Verse six, and the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord to minister to Him, to love the name of the Lord, and to be His servants. Everyone who keeps the Sabbath and does not profane it holds fast my covenant. These I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my what's it say? House of prayer. prayer. Bingo. Connection, right? Well, all that to make this one little connection. Even Isaiah, way back then, what he was proclaiming was that the house of God, the temple, the church, the thing that you and I are part of is to be a house of prayer. Which means each of you and I are to be a house of prayer. Because the reality is if you flip all the way forward in the New Testament to Peter, Peter says each of us are temples, right? All of us individually are temples. But we're not temples that we're meant to walk alone. We come together as living stones who are part of a building that God is putting together. And that building is not brick and mortar, which we see around us, but it's flesh and blood. Look around the room. Don't sit there and look at me. Look around the room. Come on. Sheesh. Got a tough crowd sometimes. <laughs> Bricks and mortar, as opposed to Bricks made of flesh and blood to you and I. As God saves you and saves me, brings us into something called a house of prayer. It's part of the way that we communicate with God, part of the way that we communicate on behalf of one another. So Isaiah says, hey, as I bring people in, as God brings people in, what's going to happen is the temple of God, which is his people, are going to become a house of prayer. Now, I'm just going to leave it there because if I continue preaching through that, we're going to be here for another hour. Go to Jeremiah now. Jeremiah chapter 7. Jeremiah chapter 7. I'll just try really hard just to read it and not pause too much. Oh, look, the word of the Lord that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. (laughs) Starts the same way kind of, doesn't it? Hear ye the word of the Lord. Jeremiah chapter 7. The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. And imagine this. If, if If God spoke to you like he did Jeremiah and he told you to go do this, put yourself in Jeremiah's place, okay? But Jeremiah, God is telling Jeremiah and Isaiah, really, drop truth, right? Drop truth bombs. Drop the mic. Walk out the room. Let them deal with their tears and all their mess and everything like that. Um, what, what, Jer- what Jeremiah has to do is he's got to go stand in the gates. So, 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 so what God's telling him is like, hey, go stand in the doorway of the church. And when people start showing up for church on Sunday, this is what you're to say to them. So, so this is what our greeters are going to do next week when you show up here. Just so you know, I'm kidding. I shouldn't be kidding, though, should I? Maybe we should do this. Let's read. The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord, stand in the gate of the Lord's house, stand in the doorway of the church, and proclaim there this word. Say this. Hear the word of the Lord, all you men of Judah who enter these gates to worship the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel. So just in case you didn't know that God was speaking, once again, like he says it like three times, right? He like compounds it. It's kind of like a parent saying in front of a kid, being like, hey, make sure you get your butt in bed by seven, right? By the way, a minute before seven, get in there, right? Your dad just spoke. This repetitive language happening. It's what God's doing. So I want you to know God is speaking. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, amend your ways and your deeds, and I will let you dwell in this place. Do not trust in these deceptive words. This is the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. I said it that way on purpose because what they were doing is they were actually singing this song. We're off to church we go. We're off to church we go. Something along those lines. We don't sing that song, right? But does anybody ever feel like, hey, man, I just got to go. I got to go to church. I mean, by the way, let me just tell you this. I used to rant and rave about this all the time. Anyways, let's just do it one more time. Like a church is not a place you can go to. It's a people that you're supposed to be. That's the reality. We always say, man, we're going to church. You ought to say we're going to the church gathering tonight because that's where the church, the people of God are meeting. Like you might have a building. We call those churches, but they're really not. They're just buildings. You and I are living stones, a part of a church family that God is putting together. He basically says, hey, hey, don't trust in these deceptive words. We're going to go to church tonight. We're going to go there to get ourselves better. For if you truly amend your ways and your deeds, if you truly execute justice of one another, if you do not oppress the sojourner, the fatherless, or the widow, or shed innocent blood in this place, if you do not go after other gods to your own harm, 
then I will let you dwell in this place, in the land that I gave to you, gave of old to your fathers forever. Behold, you trust in deceptive words to no avail. Will you steal, murder, commit adultery, swear falsely, make offerings to Baal, go after other gods that you have not known, and then come and stand before me in this house, which is called by my name, and say, we are delivered, only to go on doing all these abominations? Has this house, which is called by my name, become a den of robbers in your eyes? Second connection, right? What was it Jesus said when he walked into the temple? Start flipping over tables. And my house is supposed to be a house of prayer, but you have made it into a den of thieves. thieves. The prophets were some pretty heavy dudes, weren't they? And so gonna go back to Luke. See Jesus' passion, right? What's he passionate about? Man, as he's coming down, like around the mountain, I mean, as, as we read this text before that, in like uh, verses 28 through 40, roughly, like we preached that last week or two weeks ago, the triumphal entry, this is Jesus getting on the back of a donkey and, and, then, and then coming down into Jerusalem. And just in case you haven't been tracking, I'll say this once again. Jesus took this long journey all throughout the Gospels to Jerusalem so that he could die on your behalf, on my behalf. If the weight of those words mean anything to you, then the way that you show up here next Sunday for the church gathering is as people who are cut to the core by the fact that Jesus died for you. It's perfect. And he walked that road all the way to Jerusalem, knowing the whole way there that he was going to pay the ultimate price so that you and I could be set free and have the freedom to come and do what we are doing here tonight. This is the passion of Jesus on display, right? Heading towards Jerusalem to give his life as a ransom. And as he rounds the corner of this mountain and starts to make his way down into the city full of people, what does he do? He starts weeping. He starts weeping profusely as he comes in there. He says, would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace. He's like, if you only knew what it took so that you could be at peace with your Father in heaven, if you only knew what it was going to take for this to happen, but you don't know. They are hidden from your eyes. That's a huge accusation to make against the city of Jerusalem, isn't it? Look at what he says next. It's a prophetic statement. He's, he's not just dropping truth bombs. He's actually looking into the future and he's saying, because you missed the fact that I, Jesus, came to die for you so that you could become sons and daughters, because you missed what the price is for peace, this is what's going to happen to you. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you, and they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. You missed the fact that I visited you. Man, don't be guilty of sitting here tonight and hearing this message. Don't be guilty of hearing this message and walking out the room and saying, I've never heard from God. Don't be guilty of walking out of this room and going back to your old way of living, which is leading to destruction. That's what Jesus is saying. If you miss the fact that I've come and spoke to you, I've visited you, I've come in such a way that you could live at peace with God and have your life completely changed. If you miss that fact, you will be destroyed. That's what makes him weep. It's like a picture of a parent standing in a room with their child who does not love the Lord. It's like the picture of a friend waiting and pleading with their friend to follow Jesus and turn from their wickedness. It's that kind of picture. Jesus knows that what's about to happen to him is not going to be received by many of them. And it breaks his heart. Can you, can you see this picture of Jesus being this broken over the dirty and filthy places of your heart and where your heart's been? 
Can you see Jesus being this broken and passionate over you because of the sin that's been in your life that you keep excusing, that you keep blaming on others? Can you see the passion of Christ in this, that he would look at you and say, I love you so much that I would not only go to the cross for you, but I would also speak the truth to you in such a way that I would hope that you would wake up. And the reality about Jerusalem is that in a few years, Jerusalem would be surrounded by the Roman Empire and would be totally destroyed. Blood would, would bathe the streets completely because they had failed to hear the message of the prophets and the message of Christ. And in fact, you go back to Isaiah and Jeremiah, many of those prophets died horribly because they refused to step back from preaching the truth and the message of the gospel and the word of God to those people. They were hated. They were hated and despised. And you look into this second portion as Jesus then like comes around that mountain, he comes down into town, he's, he's done crying and weeping. You see his passion there. The next picture we get to see of Jesus is his passion violently as he walks into the temple, right? What does Luke tell us? And he entered the temple, began to drive out those who sold, saying to them, let me just stop there. Here's what was happening in the church that day. Okay, it wasn't an issue like this. It wasn't like, hey, the youth group's got some t-shirts out there. You should go buy those so we can raise some funds to take the youth group trip downtown or something like that. That's not what was taking place. I hear all sorts of hypocritical Christians like throw big fat stinky fits all over the place because you sold a coffee mug in the back or something like that. That's not the issue, okay? You can't use this text to prove text your little games, right? <laughs> because what was really taking place here was the, the high priest, we'll just pretend like he was me, okay? Senior pastor, lead guy. What he had done was he had decided to set up various different ways to make money, profitable business, so that he could fund his extravagant living. That's what was taking place. Uh, the, the priest during that time, I think his name was Ananias. And if you go back and you study Josephus a little bit, who was a historian, most of you are like, okay, you're starting to bore me again into history. Uh, just hang with me for a minute, okay? So Josephus was like a historian for, for Israel and for the Jews. And, and uh, one of the things that he and other historians wrote about Ananias is that he was like a money-mongering fool. Like, he wasn't known for his godliness, okay, as a priest. Uh, so what this priest, this lead pastor guy, kind of like me, if you can just see my picture on him, it's okay. Um, what he does, he set up all these all these little side businesses inside the church. So you just envision like out there in the foyer area and the, the entryway, and then you kind of have this inner area of, of the church building, right? <clears throat> Um, in this day, those people that were truly followers of God would have the privilege of being in here. Um, and those that we weren't quite sure about yet, which would be like Gentiles, they, they might be out there in a place called the, the Court of the Gentiles. That was the place where they could come worship, okay? Um, that's probably the, the shortest and simplest way I can explain it, and I'm probably halfway wrong in the way I'm explaining that, just so you know. Go check it out. It's, it's good study. <laughs> So when people would come to the temple to worship, one of the things they would need to do is offer up sacrifices. Okay? Have to buy themselves some sheep or some goats or some pigeons. And the hard thing was is getting goats or sheep or pigeons that were worthy of being able to be offered. And so what uh, sneaky, smart little money-mongering Ananias had figured out was, hey, man, if I hire me some dudes that can sit out there at tables and sell sheep that are in good shape, sheep that are in good shape, that, that, that should be a, a sticker for your bumper. <laughs> if I could sell sheep that are in good shape and they, they can't buy them anywhere else and I get the corner on the market and let's just say each one's worth like, you know, five bucks, that's cheap for a sheep. Um, we'll probably charge them. We'll probably charge them twenty bucks for that sheep instead, and uh, I'll let the dude that's selling the sheep keep an extra ten, and I'll take the other five. Right? So he'd set this thing up so that he could fill his coffers full. So what Jesus walked into in in the in the church building that day was to see all of these money changers, that was the other thing, and then all these people selling, buying and selling animals. They had taken the worship of God and prostituted it. It turned it into a, a, a cool club to come hang out and to become popular in and to get wealthy in. 
Money changers was another thing too, is you had to have a certain kind of money so that you could give your tithe, right? You can give your money to the church to help support God's work. We say this all the time. I get paid full time for what I do, okay? And I'll just be honest with you, like I do rely on people to help pay my paycheck and uh, pay the bills of the church ministry that we do. Um, but what they were doing here in, in this text was uh, they had to have the currency changed over to the right kind of currency for that town so that you could actually receive the money. This happens when you go out to airports. You ever fly on an airplane and you go to another country, you got to get it changed from American currency to other currency. Well, what they were doing in the temple here was they were charging an arm and a leg to get the currency changed. Okay? Can we just all say this dude's a scumbag? I must have lost you guys. Huh? I got three of you. Yeah, yeah. So, so Ananias was kind of a scumbag because he had turned the temple into den of thieves. And what Jesus did is he came in and Luke tells us he began to drive out those who sold, saying to them, It is written, My house shall be a house of prayer. It is written where? What's Jesus preaching? He's preaching Isaiah, right? Like, like so, so anybody who looks at me and is like, hey, you know, I just think the Old Testament was written by a bunch of old fools in caves who didn't know how to write anyways. That's a Discovery Channel, popular Discovery Channel BS, okay? Anybody who tells you that, it's like, dude, you got a problem with Jesus because Jesus quoted the Old Testament? Like, he preached it, okay? He preached the Old Testament, hello. And not just once here, twice. It was written, my house shall be a house of prayer. And then he goes to Jeremiah, right? But you have made it a den of thieves, he moves on. And he was teaching daily in the temple. The chief priests, the scribes, the principal men of the people were seeking to destroy him. But they did not find anything they could do. For all the people were what? Hanging on his words. A literal Greek interpretation of what Luke is saying here is hanging on his words. No, uh, it's actually hanging on Jesus. That's the picture of what was happening. Let me give you a couple other pictures that I have stuck in my head. What happens in this sinful temple where all this sin was taking place and God's worship was being prostituted so that somebody could make money off the gospel rather than, rather than a passion and a weeping concern for the lost? What was happening instead of that was it had been turned into a den of thieves. It was no longer a place of prayer. This is a picture of your heart and my heart. What is going on in your heart tonight? Is your heart, is your heart prayerful? Is there a den of thieves like running around inside your heart, making a big fat mess? Has you, have you been hanging on the very words of Jesus? Because only in the words of Jesus will you find life. Only in Christ himself, the word who came and became flesh and dwelt among us, as the Gospel of John tells us, right? The problem with men and women, though, as John continues to tell us, is that when the word who is life came, dwelt among us, became flesh, he's like a light in a dark place. But the problem for us men and women is we love darkness. We love sin. I mean, you can just agree with me. It's okay. You don't have to try to pretend or fake it. I love sin. That's my problem. There's been many people who are like, well, he's not fit to be a pastor if he loves sin. Well, the problem with you is you're not honest then. <laughs> so I need Jesus to come and change my affections. I need Jesus to come and give me his spirit to change my longings and my desires, to change what I love so I no longer love the things which are opposed to him, so I begin to love him more. And not just with my thoughts and my words, but deep down inside my heart and with the actions of my life. That's what I need. That's called the process of transformation. I need to literally hang on his words. What happened in this text was there was a temple that should have been a place of worship and evangelism so that others could come to know God through the message of the gospel. And men and women had turned it into a den of thieves. And so the temple which is perfect, that is Christ himself, came and took took up residence inside the temple that was full of sin. Let me say this again. The temple which is Christ, who is perfect, came into a temple full of sin and set up shop. And what did he start doing? He starts preaching. He starts preaching every single day. And everybody in there starts hanging on the words of Christ. Think about your heart. 
Think about your heart. This is what Jesus comes. The old idea in Christianity of you, you say the sinner's prayer, Jesus, I'm a sinner. I recognize that. Believe you. Died on a cross. Need you to come into my heart and set up shop and change my life. It's not so far off. It's what you and I should pray every single day. Jesus, come into my heart and set up shop inside of this sinful temple. Set up shop in there and preach to me every day the message of the gospel. It's what you and I need the most. And uh, final eight verses. I can no longer see the clock, so y'all are in bad shape <clears throat> and my phone's back there in the sound booth because we used it for music so um, you're out of luck got eight got eight verses left to go so uh, final eight verses what happens right when Jesus sets up shop and starts preaching it's what happens in, in all of us when Jesus comes in and preaches, right, we question his authority. We're like, oh, no, nah, Jesus didn't say that. Like, well, that was your interpretation of what Jesus said. I like this dude's interpretation better because it allows me to get away with some things. That's, that's what's happening here in this text. These guys are ticked because Jesus is in the limelight. And listen, this is what's going to happen every time you choose Jesus over the world. Every time you choose Jesus over sin, people are going to hate you, just like they did to Jesus. And listen, it's not by your authority or my authority that we walk this thing out anyways. It's by his authority. It's by his power. Romans, again, 1.16 says that the gospel is powerful unto salvation. I mean, it's the power of the gospel coursing through your life and my life, which makes for that radical change. So, so uh, these dudes, they get ticked off at Jesus because he came in passionately crying, passionately pissed off, flipping tables, right? Now he's preaching passionately, and everything that he's preaching is somewhat contrary to what they had preached. It's not making them famous anymore. It's making him famous. The people are hanging on the words of Christ and no longer the words of these backwards preachers, Right? So they come in and they, they try to test him and they're like, hey, yo, what about John the Baptist and his baptism? So, so like, was that from God or was that from man? Where did his authority come from? And Jesus is like, I'll tell you what, I'll ask you a question. Um, actually, I'm sorry, I got it all backwards, right? So you strike that from the, uh, from the heretical side of this message. <laughs> they come to him and they're like, where did you get your authority from? Sorry, I, I got it all messed up. They come to him and they're testing his authority. And he's like, I'll tell you what, I'll answer your question when you answer mine. Where did John the Baptist get his authority? Get his authority from God or from man? And then they all start talking to each other and they're kind of like, man, if, if we say that, that, uh, that John the Baptist got his authority from God, then, uh, then he's gonna basically going to ask us, then why, why didn't we believe what John said about him? Because John, earlier on, who was the cousin of Jesus, said that Jesus was the Messiah, right? That's what John said. So if they say that, they're, they're hun, they hang themselves. But if they say, well, his authority came from man, man, all the people that are there hanging on Jesus' words, they're going to get pissed off and they're going to kill these guys. They're going to riot and mob. And so here's what they choose to do. They choose to kind of live in this gray space of like, oh, I don't really know. Like, I'm just kind of more of an agnostic. I don't really know what's going on. That's what they're doing. They're refusing to take a stand on one side or the other. Like, hey, you know what? You either don't believe or you do. One or the other. Like, get there. Like, I, I respect the people who are like, I don't believe in Jesus. That's cool. I'm just afraid for you. I'm going to go home and weep for you like Jesus does for you. And that shouldn't be offensive. Seems offensive, but it shouldn't be. It's the most loving thing I could do is go home and weep, right? What really boggles my mind is people who just kind of sit in the middle, right? They're like, eh, I don't really know. And the reason why is because if they'd have said that the authority came from God, Jesus would have had them, right? It would have been like, well, then you should, you should know that I am God. I'm Jesus. I'm the Messiah. But the, the real problem is they were afraid of people. They were afraid of losing their position in front of people. They had worked so hard to get all these people to do what they wanted them to do. And they were in danger of losing that. And so Jesus is like, well, I'll tell you what. Since you're not going to answer my question, I'm not going to answer yours either. Let's go back to preaching. I think that's probably what he did. It's like he went back to preaching. It's a picture of what Jesus does. I mean, you can question his authority all you want. I'm not going to phase Jesus. I'm not going to stop Jesus. Like Jesus does what he does, continues doing what he's doing. 
But the big thing for you and I to remember is this. Like, have you come to that place where you have seen the passion of Jesus in his work at the cross for you? And have you trusted in him? Have you come to that place? And is the passion of Christ like coursing through you? Or is your heart dead? Is your heart alive tonight and on fire for the gospel and on fire for Jesus because you see the way in which he's loved you? Are you passionately pursuing Christ? That's the question for each of you and I. Let me pray for us as uh, the music team comes back up. Father, thank you for our time in the scriptures together tonight. Um, Lord, I do pray for us that, Lord, as we just kind of wrap up in worship and as we head into a time of communion, Lord, I just pray, God, that you would just do a work in our lives through this message. Um, Lord, I do pray that you, um, in some regard, for those of us who have known you for a while, God, I pray that you would come and that you would um, just take up like fresh residence inside of each of us. Just preach a fresh word to each of us, God. Encourage us, challenge us. Help us to walk in holiness. Lord, for any who are here tonight that do not know you, God, I pray that you would, um, maybe for the first time, awaken their hearts from the dead. Bring them back to life, maybe for the first time, and help them to trust in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Listen, as we, as we close up tonight, uh, we have communion elements down front. And... Uh, We'd love to serve you communion. There'll be two of us down front to serve you. You can use these aisle here and this aisle here. You come down and then exit out that way and back to your seat. Down this way, back that way, back to your seat. Um, this is the body and the blood of Christ. This bread is symbolic of his broken body on your behalf and my behalf. This is what happened at the cross. Juice here is symbolic of his blood, which was poured out on your behalf and my behalf. Why? So that you and I could become sons and daughters of God. So that our lives could become no longer a den of thieves, overtaken by all sorts of sins and lusts, but so that our lives could be totally controlled by the Holy Spirit. So if you're with us and you're a believer and you believed upon Christ, you believe that message, then we invite you to join us to uh, take communion. If you're with us and you're not a believer, don't, don't come forward and take communion because it's just a stupid religious activity for you. And we don't, I don't believe it's a stupid religious activity. I just don't want anybody else here to engage in a religious activity for the mere outward show of it. Like, you don't have to be a member of our church, but you do have to be a Christ follower. And maybe you're here and you're like, man, I don't know if I am. Um, love to pray with you about that. Come talk to me afterwards or talk to one of the people down front. Um, so let's do that. Let's, uh, let's all stand. We'll get into communion. We'll close the worship. Thanks, guys. Love you. You're listening to an audio message from The Well, a gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com.